Well, whether you are reach, listening to the Handel's Messiah, like we were last week and giving God glory, or if it's the electric guitar, either way, God's going to get some glory out of his instruments. Am I right? Um, we are so glad to be back. Larry and I have been gone for two months. And let me just right off the bat, just say thank you. It is a crazy gift born of our senior pastor, Mark, of the staff who filled in for us like crazy. We told them our punch cards are full. We'll be cashing them in. I promise. Um, of you all who are willing to let us have two months for our, our souls to just fill up every seven years. It is, that's an unprecedented gift. And I just recognize that all of us are in sacred work that God has called us to, whether you work behind a computer, whether you work with people, whether you're in your retirement and loving your families, and you don't get a two-month break. I get it. And um, so let me just say thank you. Um, we have rested. I thought that I would need to come back and tell you guys, we had two months off. Thank you for letting us renovate the house or thank you for sending us on the trip of a lifetime or whatever. And turns out like rest is a gift unto itself that like not answering email for two months is a soul changer. <laughs> so I love you. Email away. But it was really great um, to have a break. I want to especially just say on a, on a worship morning, thank you to all of you who are either new this morning or new within the last couple weeks. I have a newfound um, gratitude for the work that it takes you to find where to go on a Sunday morning. It is not easy to figure out where to spend church. And you went on Google, you figured out what time we were at, where we were, how to park, what to wear, where your kids should be. And um, I just don't take that for granted. So thank you for uh, investing and trusting that meeting with God was worth figuring out how to do that and where to do that. So we just welcome you, and I have an appreciation for you. Um, we are in a series this Christmas looking at this freedom that God has given us to um, believe that we are not the end of all things. That there is a God in heaven and that he is the answer to the things that we're looking for. And my prayer for you is um, that in this hour, it's not a two-month sabbatical, but it's a one-hour Sabbath, that you would be gifted some of the rest and the trust that happens when we enter into Sabbath. Sabbath was a gift that God gave us to remember who we are. He said, remember that you are not slaves. You are not a slave to Christmas. You're not a slave to busyness. You're not a slave to your work. You are a daughter and a son of the God Most High. And he wants to meet with you. And so my prayer is that we, as we look at how we are not, over the past weeks, we are not the light, we are not the first, we are not the Christ, and today we are not the lamb, that you could receive the gift that God is, and that there was a baby born for you, and he is Christ the Lord. So we're continuing this story of Christmas from John's gospel. Um, you'll remember that there are two Johns, John who wrote the book, and then John the Baptist, who's um, the main character in this part of our story. John the Baptist, you wouldn't think has anything in common with you. He has never done Costco Christmas. Oh my goodness, all the people. He's never done that. He lived in the desert. He ate bugs and honey. And he always had hordes of people following him. So you may not be able to relate unless you look at the heart of John, who day after day did the same thing over and over again, speaking the same message, waiting and longing for what he did every day to matter, to find out why he was doing it. 
And we're going to get to that point in the story of John today, and I'm prayerful that it will open up for you why it is that God has had you in the days of your life as they have been. So with that in mind, let us read the story of John the Baptist. We're in John chapter 1. I'm going to begin with verse 29. I like having a Bible in front of me, so there are Bibles in front of you. I don't need those. It's fine. Um, you are looking for page 886 in, your, in the Bible in front of you. Page 886 and John chapter 1, verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one of whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, would this word be revealing to us today? And would it answer some of the deep longings of our hearts as we come to know you more and more? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John the Baptist spends his whole eccentric life going out into the unknown into the unknown. I just need to see who, what I'm working with. Frozen 2, anybody? Okay, I got enough. Okay, good. Okay, this is the first service I've gotten to do this. I'm so excited. Okay, so here goes John, and he's going out into the unknown. The first time I was reading this passage to prepare, it struck me twice, this phrase, I myself did not know him, but. Who's the him that John didn't know? I've been in church for a long time. I tend to know who the him is in the Bible. What's the good Sunday school answer? Jesus. Okay. And John the Baptist knew Jesus. He was Jesus's cousin. So he probably knew Jesus as the morally upright kid who liked to spend a little more time than usual at church. Okay. So that's who he probably knew him to be. But here he says, him, I I did not know him, but who's that him? Well, we've been learning a lot about who John was looking for from Pastors Mark and Ellis the last couple weeks. We've learned that this him is the Christ, that he is the long-awaited king from the line of David who's going to be the king of the nation of the Jews. We've learned that he is the first He's the Lord. He's the one in control of everything, who's in control of our lives. We've learned that he is the light. He's the creator of the light. He's the source of the light. And John says, I myself did not know him, but... These two buts are really important, these two phrases. The first one comes in verse 31. And the phrase says, I myself did not know him, but this is the reason that I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to all Israel. So John says, I didn't know who he was going to be yet, but I knew he would be the light and the Christ and he would be um, the Lord. And when he was revealed, I wanted 
everyone to know him. I wanted all of Israel, all my friends and family to know him. So I'm going to spend my whole life going out and preparing for this one I don't know yet. I myself did not know him, but... I actually think that a lot of us Christians who've grown up in America live with a faith that's in this structure, that I myself did not know him but structure, where we know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know him. We know a lot about the Messiah. We know a lot about the Christmas story. We can answer the right questions. We know Jesus is the Sunday school answer, but we can't say, I myself know him can't know him personally, haven't beheld the person that is the Messiah face to face. I know this was my story. I grew up in a Lutheran church. I could have recited the entire Christmas story by this time I was seven. I'd been in so many Christmas programs. You know this. Maybe this is like you. I would never, I would not have said though in childhood that I had a need for God, that I needed to know him. I had all the answers But I couldn't have said he was a person I was familiar with. And that is what John the Baptist is saying here. I myself did not know him. I knew a lot about the Messiah. I I knew a lot about the Christ. But I I had not yet met him personally. And so how was he going to know who the Messiah was when he met him? Well, that's our second I myself did not know him. But it comes in verse 33. The summary of it would be I myself did not know him. But I knew what I was looking for. Where the mountains meet the sea. See, I told you it was coming. Okay. She, Elsa had a clear sign. She knew when she was going to find the source of her power. She had a very clear sign. She knew what she was looking for. John knew what he was looking for. He was looking for, verse 33 says, this moment when the spirit would descend upon someone and remain on them. And what's so fun is that this moment came about 40 days before this passage. When John the Baptist received Jesus, he came out into the Jordan to be baptized. And all three other gospels record this moment. John's like, everybody else has it covered, so I'm not going to tell you about it. But what happened was Jesus came out to be baptized. The spirit descended on him like a dove and remained on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And John got to have the aha moment. Here's the sign. Check. It's arrived. What I spent my whole life going out into the unknown to find. God has shown himself and here he is. Aha. And it was this transition moment from I myself did not know him, but now I know him. Jesus used to be just this moral teacher that I knew, and now I know that he is the Messiah. I've had a a dozen or so of these aha moments in my life of faith. The first came in what Pastor Mark calls a bad theological moment. He brought this up last week. Um, But to a fifth grader, it worked really well for me. And it was this moment where a good Lutheran kid was at summer camp and an itinerant charismatic preacher came through. Some of y'all know what drastic um, moment that would have been. Uh, it was it was very strange to me, and he was calling everybody to come forward and be anointed with oil, and he was calling people to come forward if Jesus was the Lord of their life. And at the very end of this, like, 30 minutes of drama, I'm the last person sitting up on the stage, just like, I don't know what this guy's about. I can't figure this one out. And finally he says, everybody come forward for whom Jesus is your Savior. And I'm like, well, I know that one. I'll come down. 
And I didn't know I was a budding theologian. It would take me 24 hours to think about that. And I went and talked with him over lunch. What is this difference between Jesus as the Savior and Jesus as the Lord moment? But what it was for me was this revelation, this aha, that not only was Jesus in charge of all of creation, but he was actually in charge of my life. And he wanted to help me take my next steps forward. And so it was this beautiful aha revelation. Another significant one happened when I was 19 and I was caught, if you will, on a mission trip of all things. I was blowing up the team with gossip. I was the girl you did not want on your team. And I had a friend who was confronting me in love about that. And that confrontation brought this aha moment, this revelation of God is the one who wants to forgive us. And that when God is at work in your life, you don't have the desire to be the answer person, which is where I was. I wanted to master the Bible and have all of the answers. Instead, you realize that the fruit of God at work in your life is kindness and unity and truth. And I came to know God in a different way. It would be a long time before I would have a revelation about God as the Lamb of God. I don't even know that that's something I wanted at 19. And maybe you'd think that it would be weird to have God be the lamb of God. From a secular, if you didn't grow up in the church, you only see lambs at petting zoos, right? And they're like soft and cuddly and little and helpless. Like who wants a God who's a helpless little lamb at a petting zoo? Well, I I can feel where you're coming from. So here's, here's one of the things that we have, to, um, we have to really work at as people who live in 2019. To understand God's word, we have to get into the Jewish culture of 2,000 years ago when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He meant something very particular. So in John's day, lambs were raised for either meat or for sacrifice, and particularly for one annual sacrifice called the the Festival of Passover. A Passover. Annually, they would remember this one real moment that really happened in history when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. And on the eve of that delivery, God told his people to take a lamb— And to put its blood on the doorpost of their house so that when the angel of death came by, he would pass over the lambs, the house with the lamb's blood and move on. Then he told them to eat the lamb in haste to prepare them to flee Egypt. And then annually they would remember this Passover so that they could remember that God created that for them in that moment of deliverance from Egypt, formed them into a community of people, gave them a belonging and a family. So when, when John the Baptist is referring to the lamb, I don't want to lose you. Like, I'm really glad we don't live in a religious culture of sacrifice. Okay, we're not bringing out a lamb here. But it's so important to ground ourselves in the history, the reality of this, because then we know that when he says, behold the lamb, what he's saying is, behold the protection from death. Behold the deliverance from slavery. Behold the one who creates a new family. This had really deep symbolism for him. Behold the Lamb of God. 
Now, you guys gave me a two-month break, so I think I owe it to you to not only talk about Exodus, but Genesis and Revelation too, okay? So you're going to have to stick with me here. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. Sin is a very Christian word because it's our answer for where the world went wrong. It went wrong in this moment that sin entered the world. Sin entered when people chose to move in a way apart from God, to choose a way apart from God. And in that moment, their hearts were forever inclined away from God. And that inclination to desire anything that is not what God desires is sin. When God created us, he created us for eternity, for life forever with him. And the problem was when sin entered in, we got a double whammy and got death too because God is the sustainer of all eternity. So when you reject God, you have rejected eternity. Sin and death is a double whammy. And God loves us so much that he did not want eternity without us. So as we sang today, he was the way maker who created the way for us to have life and eternity with him. And the way to do that was to remove this big block of sin. And so Jesus came as the lamb of God to offer his sacrifice on the cross to take away the sin of the world. In this passage, it's singular. Sin is all of the way that all of our society, all of human history is oriented away from the desires of God. We normally talk about sins as my individual ways that I am not, um, don't have my heart toward the Lord. But here it's, God has come to take away all of the evil. Our society is not longing for the things of God. It longs for its own power, its own reputation, and its own wealth. And that is sin. And somebody had to take it away. And so behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb is helpless. It is a sacrifice. And had Jesus stayed dead after the cross, he would have been another pitiful lamb. But he was not. On the third day, he rose from the dead to demonstrate for us that death is done and that a way has now been made for all of humans. The son of God, the human person of God has made a way for us to join him forever in all eternity. And John the Baptist had the foresight to see this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John the Baptist. John the author, John one twenty nine, right? That John. John held on to this phrase, the Lamb of God, that was unique to John the Baptist. He would go on to live and see so much more of Jesus than John the Baptist would live to see. He would see Jesus die and rise again. And at the end of his life, he would have a vision of the Lamb of God on the throne, the conquering lion and the slain lamb. I know you could hear me ramping up. It's okay. You're going to stick with me, okay? This was a huge aha moment for me in Revelation. It was after college. Larry was teaching Revelation, this Bible study on Revelation. And we got to 5-1. And I have never been the same. And this is why. Because I learned something of God that met the deepest desire of my heart. Which was to understand why. 
Why was evil allowed to persist? Why did yesterday our security guard tell me about a 25-year-old guy from Fox Island, a policeman, Pierce County Sheriff, who got shot yesterday? Why was Tan's life so short? Why? And this aha moment, this revelation, was for me the deepest satisfying answer I can give. And so my prayer is for you that this image would come to mean as much to you as it has to me. So we're going to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. John the author says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Okay, the scroll. We can understand this, okay? Do you believe me? We can understand this. Okay. The scroll is one of two things. People that are way smarter than I am, commentators of the Bible, say they're going to land into two camps. One, lads with lad, and he says that the scroll is all of human history past. It's all the nations that have risen and fallen. It is December 22nd, 2019, and what you're going through. Everything of all of human history is written on the scroll. The second camp, Bauckham, says that the scroll is all of future coming. All of the future that's possible because evil has been eradicated from the world. I like both. Can we just agree? I would really like it to be written down, all of it, all the days of my life, all the days of your life, all of everything that's happened, and I would like to know what history is possible without evil. So we're going to go with both this morning, okay? So here's the scroll of all of human history, and we're in the throne room of God. Now, when a scroll was read in Jewish culture, there would have been an interpreter, a rabbi, right there to not only read the words of the scroll, but to also interpret them, to make sense of them. Somebody who could read it and say, this is why this happened. And this is what happens when the scroll is presented in the throne room of God. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? In other words, who is able to make sense of it? Where's the interpreter for human history? Verse 3 says, and no one... No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And friends, this is secular philosophy. This is, it ends when it ends and there's no meaning. This is what that feels like. And I don't know about you, but I have the same reaction that John did, verse 4. If that were the case, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. No one can make sense of it. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered So that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. There's a lion, a conquering lion. Verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a a lamb standing as though it had been slain. 
Jumping to verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, when the scroll is now in the hand of the lamb, verse 9, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy are you, the Lamb, because it was your blood, your sacrifice that protected us from death, that delivered us from the slavery of sin, that created us as a family, a kingdom of people who did away with the evil that's ruling in our world and set them as a kingdom of priests unto our God. Worthy are you, Jesus, to make sense of 2019. Worthy are you to explain to me why. Worthy are you because you freed me. You have protected me. You put me in a place of belonging. Worthy are you, Jesus. We need a slain lamb on the throne. I am not the lamb. I cannot protect you. You cannot protect yourself from death. There's no health plan. There's no exercise routine. There's no app to protect you from death. I cannot deliver you from sin. You cannot deliver yourself from sin. There is no healthy habits, no focus planner, no goal setting that is going to free you from the habit of not having your heart oriented toward God. There is no way that I can make you belong. I can't conform myself to belong to a people. I need a lamb to set me into a family and into a kingdom. Behold, the lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. John the Baptist said, I myself did not know him, but now I know him. I spent my whole life preparing to see him and I've seen him. And now I want everyone I know to say, behold, there he is. And I want you to know him and you can know him. And so if you do not know Jesus, you know a lot about him, but you don't know him. Or maybe you don't even know a lot about him. You're hearing behold for the first time. I want to ask you to risk that it's possible that there is one who has come for you. Risk that it's possible that there's one who could save you. And don't ignore the voice that is calling you out into what you don't know to find him. When the Spirit first started talking to me, I didn't know what his voice sounded like. It was like clammy hands and goosebumps. It was a question that wouldn't go away. And I want to encourage you, don't ignore that. That's the beginning of your ability to hear the Spirit of God. And pay attention. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close by starting a conversation for you with God, letting you begin to speak to him, to talk to him, to, to understand his voice. And maybe you need to risk coming to Alpha. Take those questions to somebody. Do that in community. See what the voice of God might sound like. I suspect a lot of you are uh, like 19-year-old Megan or like this morning Megan, let's be honest, who just needs more of God. 
there's so much I know about him that, I, that you don't yet know him personally. And what I want to encourage you to is to ask him to reveal more of himself. Maybe there's even a particular way you want to know God. You know about him as the healer or you know about him as the counselor. Or now you know about him as the Lamb of God. I'm sure you all could now take us from Genesis to Revelation. You can do it. I'm not being facetious. You really can There's a lot you um, know about him, but you don't know him yet. Ask him to reveal that to you. And I'm going to give you one particular practice for that. When the elders in the throne room of God heard that this was the Lamb of God, how did they respond? They sang, right? They worshiped. I know singing is not really something that our culture does, but it's something that we've been meant to do for all of eternity. And so I want to invite you to try singing this Christmas. Sing with us, sing in your car, sing with the radio, sing not with the radio. But something unlocks in the way God created our soul, that when we worship him, we meet him. One of the gifts of Jesus that John the Baptist brings out is that um, the one who sent him to baptize said to him, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's uninterruptible presence. God is with you always. But you have to be interruptible. And so rather than putting on a podcast or calling a friend in the car, try worshiping him and see what happens when you are interruptible before God. He is so with you and wants to reveal himself to you. I I know him and I have come to be so sure that we do not earn our place in God's kingdom, that he has offered himself already as the sacrifice. He is already in charge. He has already light in the darkness. He is already the king. He has already offered all the sacrifice that we will ever need to be in the presence of God. And so let me pray that God would reveal himself and that you could rest in that. I'm going to begin by just praying a simple prayer that you could echo phrase by phrase in your own heart, in your own prayer life. And so we pray, Jesus, there's a lot of you we don't know. I want to know you more. I want to know the Lamb. I need to be protected. I need to be delivered from sin. I need to belong. I receive you. I receive that you take away my sin. I receive that you take away the sin of the world. Reveal yourself to me. you echoed those phrases in your heart, whether for the first time or if those are phrases that might be new language for you, but you believed them for a long time, go ahead and open your eyes and look at me. 
because I want to assure you that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You are forgiven. He has taken away your sin. He has given you a place to belong, and you belong in this family. If you are a part of God's family, you're going to get really familiar with these words because you're going to hear them for all eternity. Hear the rest of the song that the people of God say when they see the Lamb. John says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Let's practice. Would you stand up and worship the lion and the lamb? Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? 